introduce our first speaker this evening. So, Brother Gary George, of course, is the pastor of Sovereign Grace Chapel in Southbridge, Massachusetts, so up in my neck of the woods. So I was in Warren, Rhode Island, and my wife and I just recently bought a house in Swansea, Massachusetts, so a little closer to Brother Gary. And so he is a gifted evangelist, as, as many of you have heard him preach here before at previous conferences. So one definitely with the gift of evangelism, and he faithfully preaches the scriptures to his congregation, and he is heavily, heavily involved with missionary efforts to Jamaica. He's also a board member of Providence Theological Institute of New Covenant Theology. And so Pastor Gary George is going to be speaking, as I said before, on Galatians 1, 1 to 17, introducing our study. And so, Brother Gary. I was hoping it was going to be but we'll try to follow suit. That was good music, brother. Thank you for providing that. Love the enthusiasm. I can fulfill to uh, launch this conference in a way that will be a right way and an edifying way. <clears throat> I think what I would like to do, therefore, first and foremost, is to uh, read something by an author that's anonymous. We don't know who wrote this, but I think it's a wonderful way to open a conference. This is a Bible conference. We're going to be talking about the book of Galatians. We believe in census plenior that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, and we're going to discover how it is. And I know the Lord's going to use each of our speakers in bringing forth the word in a way that will, it will open it up to all of us. And I've encouraged those that are, uh, have been coming, and have come rather, to, uh, to come with uh, preparation by having read the book of Galatians and the sister that we picked up tonight to come here said she read it six times uh, to be prepared. Uh, I think that's a wonderful way, isn't it, to study the Word. So listen to what somebody wrote about the Bible, Biblos, which simply means the books, the, the sacred books, the 66 books. The author writes it this way. The Bible contains the mind of God, the seed of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are suitable. Read it to be be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's Paradise is restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand object, and good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be... Contents. Amen. This book.
word of God, the word of us. You received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which worketh in you effectually, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for giving us in our room. Shedding of tears could never have atoned for, but your finished work accomplished it all on our behalf. Thank you for granting to us repentance towards you, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ in giving us an assurance that we belong to you. Thank you for sealing us with the Holy Spirit, giving us him the gift to indwell us, to enlighten us, to guide us and teach us and lead us. And thank you, Lord, for the written word. And Lord, during this conference, from the beginning to end, we pray, Lord, that we would adhere to the word, that we would respect it, that we, we would regard it highly, and that it would move us and affect us in ways, O oh God, that would generate us, Lord, in ways that we would go away from the conference inspired, excited, and more desirous to be diligent readers of the word so that we can grow in grace and knowledge of you. So, Lord, bless the coming conference. Bless the message tonight. Bless our brothers that will be following tomorrow and the days ahead. We ask, Lord, that you would use each of them and bring in, Lord, those who would you you would have to hear these words, and may they too as well be encouraged. And those that will be watching it on the internet, and those that will be listening to it, and they will be blessed. So Lord, we ask for your visitation with us tonight. Give us, Lord, a great sense of your presence. Give us liberty, Lord, in proclaiming your word. Lord, you might be glorified in our midst, and that we would learn more of and from the book of Galatians, that, Lord, we can say, indeed, we have been blessed to be here and hear such things. So, Lord, guide us, we pray thee. We Christ, amen. Galatians chapter 1. <clears throat> An apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God. And ever, amen. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my conversation or my behavior in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and I wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. But... Praise God for these buts. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. And neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I have something to say to you. 
we were in the morning talking about the Gospel of John and gleaning from the Gospel of John pictures of Jesus as being truly the Torah of the Bible. And one thing I wanted to add, and I think, as I said, the book of what I was preaching on this morning I thought would be a good segue into our study of the book of Galatians. And one of the ways in which I think that was a good, would be a good segue is from what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 30, two and following. We were making a contrast between Moses and Jesus this morning. The, disciple, the uh, disciples of Moses, that is the Pharisees and followers, were saying to that blind man, we have Moses' disciples. And we know that God spoke unto Moses. In contrast to this blind man whose eyes were opened, and he said, one thing I know, once I was blind, I, and now I see. He was giving the glory to the one who came to him, anointed his eyes, and gave him sight. They said, we know that God spoke unto Moses. In other words, we have no certainty, no assurance that God spoke through Jesus. We are Moses' disciples, that was their boast. In chapter 8 in the Gospel of John, again, they say, we are Abraham's children. Abraham is our father. And in both instances, that is a fallacy for each case. They were not truly Moses' disciples because Jesus says, if you were disciples of Moses, you would believe what he wrote and he wrote of me. What a bold statement. Moses wrote of me. You claim to be followers of Moses? Well, guess what? The goal of the law is me, Christ. And they didn't see it. The Jews that were saying that Abraham was their father and Jesus is saying, Abraham's not your father. You are, your father is the devil. You're the children of, and the offspring of the devil. What a contrast. Abraham is our father? No, he's not. You're not true spiritual children of Abraham. That's very much a theme like the book of Galatians that we're going to talk about. So Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Whoever committeth sin is a servant of sin and the servant abideth not in the house forever. But if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And that's what the book of Galatians is about freedom. He wants the Galatians to be reminded of the power of the gospel. And I would like to talk to you tonight about the might of and the flight from the gospel. The might of and the flight from the gospel. Now, in the book of Galatians, the first verse, one of thir at least 13 of Paul's ap uh, epistles, he says these words, Paul, an apostle... And this following phrase is not a phrase that's found in any other epistle of his in the introductory remarks. And there's a reason why Paul introduces himself this way in the Galatian epistles differently than the way in which he introduces himself in all his other epistles. In the others, most of them, he just simply says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, brother has given us a good one that is The Gospels. Paul was a true shepherd of the flocks that God used in planting churches. That's why he would go and visit them. He is burdened for the Galatians. He is grieved about what has transpired, not so much in his absence, but what has transpired in their spiritual journey. 
So he wants to introduce himself right off the bat that he's not an apostle of men. He's going to go on to talk about how they have been influenced by men in the wrongness of allowing man to influence those who have been affected singularly and powerfully by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So Paul says, I'm, not an, I'm an apostle, not of men, and neither by man, and here's where the glory goes, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren which were with me unto the churches of Galatia. Now we know having seen how they have fallen from grace, it's concerning enough that he could have this kind of a classification of such a burden for them that this is what direction they were going in into his, his heart was breaking. Paul was greatly moved to write this epistle, and right off the bat he wants to say, I'm an apostle not of man, but of God. He says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what other piece of literature in, of, of mankind could ever be claimed to be from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ? This sets apart the literature of Scripture to any other literature written by men. As inspired as people might be to write what they've written, there have been many good books. We heard that John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, was highly inspired by the Lord in many ways, but nothing in comparison to the inspiration of Scriptures. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself... And he, he dies right into this. Who gave himself for our sins. This is, the, this is the power of the gospel. This is the might of the gospel. This was what the gospel does. Sometimes we just uh, put the bare bones of the gospel to the word simply that he died for our sins. Hallelujah, amen, we can say to that. But Paul wants to take it a little further. Paul does say who, that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah to that. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yes, there's a, there's a personal effect of the death of Christ for me individually, of saving me from an eternal hell, which is a blessing, of course, that we cannot deny, and we rejoice in that. But there's something here that Paul is after in reference to, made in verse 4. He gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us or rescue us from this present evil world according to the will of God our Father. Yes, the gospel in jeopardy, the might of the gospel is what Paul is referencing here in verse 4. The purpose of Christ's death, Paul is emphasizing, was for the sake that they might be delivered from the present evil world. There's more to the death of Christ than just simply him dying for our sins. Peter says, who, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by He is the Moses' greater deliverer who takes us out of a present evil world. What was that evil world? Well, I think if we look in the book of Galatians, we're going to see in general how that they served gods, plural, in the past. And there seems to be some parallel between their serving gods, polytheism, and going under the law, observing days and months and years and so on. Interesting. And Paul goes on in chapter 4 to talk about being delivered from this present evil world, these elementary principles. And I'm going to leave that to some of the brother, the brother who will be handling that chapter. But Paul is emphatic about the importance of Christ delivering us from the present evil world. We need to value and appreciate the power of the gospel and what it does. Paul himself was not proselytized. Just like the Samaritan woman 
who after she meets Jesus, she runs into the city, says, come and see a man that told me all things that ever I did. They believed her, but when they came to Jesus, it says they believed not because of what the woman said, but because they met Jesus themselves. And I hope that all of us here that claim to be saved can say we're saved not because of what somebody said to me, but because I've been introduced to the Lord. I've seen him for myself. The Lord has opened my heart and revealed himself to me individually. And it's on that basis that I have a standing with God and a true and a genuine relationship with him. The might of the gospel. And Paul here, and we'll go on a little bit later, where he gives his own personal testimony of his conversion. What's the significance of that? Why does he go into that? Paul in 1 Timothy 1.16 says, Paul, he talks about himself this way, how about, how be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them who should believe on him to life everlasting. Paul's conversion becomes a pattern, a model for all those who after would believe on Jesus for eternal life. So Paul is just simply one of the many. Yes, his was dramatic. No doubt, on the Damascus Road, he saw a light above the brightness of the new day sun. He falls to the ground. He heard the voice of the Son of God. Outstanding, powerful. But there's a similarity between his conversion and our conversions, between Paul's conversion and the Galatian conversions. That's the might of the gospel. Let us never deny the exceeding power that the gospel contains. A few weeks ago, again, doing some street evangelism, I uh, noticed a woman who had been listening, and I stepped away from the mic. I walked across the street. I saw her sitting on the wall, fairly well-dressed. This is at a, 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 a methadone clinic for drug addicts. And I went over to her, and I introduced myself, and I, I said hello and told her what we were doing and so on. And she looked at me. She said, I want to thank you. She said, you gave my son a Bible two weeks ago. My son has been on drugs and hooked on him. She says, since reading that Bible, he is not taking drugs anymore. I go, whoa, really? Now, I, I had a good 10-minute conversation. She again repeated, she said, I want to thank you. Now, let me say a little bit about this person. Two weeks before, he was standing listening to the gospel, just as close as Bill is to me, practically. I finally went over and I started talking to him. His name was Derek. And he, Derek he said, I need a Bible. I need, I need the Lord in my life. I said, come on across the street. We have Bibles. We're gonna give, I'm going to give you one today. Gave him a Bible. He started reading the Bible. I had a feeling that the Lord was at work in this man's soul. And here I meet his mother, who said that his father turned him on, the son that is, onto drugs. In recent months, the father overdosed and died. And here Derek Mother, I'm meeting and talking to, telling me that from reading the Bible, he's not taking drugs anymore. And she said, he's on his way to pick me up right now. And within a minute or two, he drives around the corner, he pulls over, he sees me, he jumps out of the car and gives me a big hug. I said, Derek, praise the Lord, brother, we got to get you in church. He said, I can't thank you enough for giving me the word. And I want to give all the glory to the Lord. I want to say, this book is powerful. There was a brother that was getting on a public transportation one time, and uh, this is years ago, you'd never get away with it today, and uh, as he's going through security, and this is how they used to do it, if you remember when you would go through security, it wasn't a big deal. What's in your bag, they would say. They didn't have any equipment to go through with all these technical things that they have now. And he says, it's dynamite. And he said, whoa, what do you mean dynamite? It freaked them out, so to speak. So he said, what's in your, what, what's in your bag? So he said, well, okay, you can check it if you want. He opened it up, and there it was, the Bible. He says, that's the dynamite right there. That's the power. The Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The might of the gospel. The Galatians experienced the might of the gospel. 
I planted Apollos wanted, but God gave the increase. It's wonderful that Paul wants to bring them back to their conversion experience, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Galatian brothers and sisters, you have been delivered from the power of darkness. You've been called and saved out of it. You've been rescued by the power of the gospel. And then Paul goes on to say, I am extremely disappointed, extremely disappointed, heartbroken, that you have turned away to another gospel, that you are so soon removed from him that called you unto another gospel. Now, Paul is not implying that there is another gospel. I think he's just using language here in a way to say, you have been removed from him who called you to the gospel to something else. If you want to call it a gospel, there is no other gospel. But whatever you have been, has been spoken to you that has taken you away from it, and whoever is behind that, they need to be accursed. There is no other gospel. There is no other power. There is no other way of live be, living before the Lord apart from the grace of God. When he says, I marvel that you are so soon, and this is the key, removed from him. We today have probably seen a lot of people backslide. I bet, you know, you folks that have been saved many years, our children who made maybe strong professions of faith, family members, friends, people that came into church, maybe went on for numbers of years, and now where are they? And sometimes we wonder, did they really get saved? Were they really the Lord's? Doubts come in our mind, we wonder about it. I like the way R.C. Sproul put it. He says, if you have it, you never lose it. But if you lose it, you never had it. He goes on to say, a Christian can fall seriously and radically, but never fully or finally. That's why Paul says, I'm disappointed that you are removed from him. It's not from the gospel, it's from him, the heart of the gospel, that Paul is so disappointed about them regarding that. When someone gets away from, the, from God, they're getting away from the Lord. Their departure is from him, and Paul is focusing on that. You are so soon removed from him. He doesn't say, I marvel that you are so soon removed from the grace of Christ to another gospel, but you are so soon removed from him. The one who called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel, removed from him. In this epistle, we have examples where Paul goes on and talks, repeats in other language how this removal from him transpired. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Who hath bewitched you? Who hath bewitched you? Chapter 4, verse 11, he says, I'm afraid my labor has been in vain. 420, I'm perplexed about you. 5-4, you have fallen away from grace. See, the Judaizers were tagging behind, as it were, where the gospel was preached and trying to draw the believers, those that had been delivered from the present evil world and wants to bring them back under earthly principles, law-keeping, by means of being zealous, claim, claiming a zeal for the Lord. Paul says, you have fallen from grace. Now, there's a difference from falling from grace than falling out of grace. It's an impossibility to fall out of grace. If you're a child of grace, you'll always be a child of grace. You may not be walking in the graces of the Lord and in the life of a believer, so to speak, but Paul's language is carefully worded about being falling away from him, falling away from grace. You know, there's two ways to fall away from grace, and one of them is highlighted in this epistle. The first way is lawlessness or licentiousness. Why do people get away from God? Is because they're letting the doors of Egypt come back into their life. The back door they open up, so to speak, and it comes back upon them. 
It's something that I even fear. I don't want to get back into my own life's old lifestyle. I don't want to let that creep back in because it could easily overtake me. A licentious lifestyle. The person manages to slip into a worldly lifestyle and has silenced his conscience. He's living it up without an ounce of guilt and deceiving himself that he's better off without the yoke of Jesus on him. They prefer the Egypt, the flesh pots of Egypt's rather than the courts of the Lord. Lord. That's one way, lawlessness or you could say licentiousness. And the other way, which is pertinent in this epistle, how they have fallen from grace, and that is legalism, which is somewhat ironic because you would think that a letter keeper of the law would be more in harmony and more acceptable to God than a licentious lifestyle. The legalist orders his life after the letter of the law and not the spirit. His, he convinces himself that his faith is real because he's following all the rules. The law is his Lord that leaves him cold and hard. And Sinai to him sounds good. The echoes of Sinai, the voice of God, the words of the written codes of God, seem to be more appealing and to put oneself under them in a bondage fashion rather than experience, and as he says in the fifth chapter, Christ has made us free and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. And that's what was going on here. They've taken the yoke off the, of, of Christ off of them, and they've put on a yoke of bondage. And they become satisfied with that. There's even a zeal behind that. And some of the most zealous people are those that are zealous after the law in law-keeping. But is, is it honoring to the Lord? Is that, is that how the Lord expects us to live? Paul is up in arms about this. I marvel that you are so soon, soon. Paul hadn't removed himself that long from Galatia. It hadn't been that long that they had been saved and experienced the power and the freedom that the gospel had brought in their lives. But now they're choosing another way, another gospel, another attitude. He says, which is not another, but there are some that trouble you and they would pervert the gospel of Christ boy that's Paul is irate about anyone who perverts the gospel of Christ in the second chapter he talks about those that have come in unawares that they may that they might bring us into bondage to whom we gave place no not for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you you know the gospel is broader than just Christ's crucifixion the gospel is a gospel that is all about life. We are gospel people. We live in the gospel. Not just simply believing that Jesus died for our sin, but the freedom that the gospel brings to us. The hymn writer said, To work and toil the law demands, but neither gives us feet nor hands. But greater news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. That's what Paul wants to get, get across to them. To work and toil the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands, but greater news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. One of the things that perplexed me, as I had said this morning, I've been reading the Bible for three plus years, and I was struggling. I'm reading the Word, and I'm seeing the holy character of God in the holy character that the people of God should be demonstrating. Be ye holy, for I am holy. And when I saw the way in which the Scriptures describes the people of God, those that have received the Spirit versus those that are in the flesh, I was scratching my head, and I said, I can't live like that. That's not me. I can't. That must be for the priests and the ministers. It's out of my league. 
But when free grace awoke me by light from on high, then legal fears shook me, I trembled to die. No refuge, no safety in self could I see. Jehovah said, can you, my Savior must be. That is the Lord, my righteousness must be. And that's what freed me when the Lord saved me. Now all of a sudden I can say, I found something far better. I have freedom now to serve the Lord. I'm no longer in the bondages that I was previously in, and I have a love for the Lord Jesus. You know, sometimes when you try to talk to people and, and, and they're not sure if they're saved and you're not sure if they are either, or someone who claims to be saved, and you just have a sense that there's just no zip in their Christian life. There's no, no excitement. There's no enthusiasm. There's no fervor. There's no even demonstrations that they have truly experienced the new birth and are living the, the life. And so sometimes I sit with people, I try to talk to them, and I'd say, this is an important question. And this is how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 16. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed, let him be cut off. That is the number one question. What think ye of Christ? What does Jesus mean to you? Do you love him? If you do, if you claim that you love him, it's because he loved you first. Paul wants to get across to the Galatians, you have been circumcised in the inward parts. And that's why you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. You couldn't do that by putting yourself under the law. That brings you into bondage. That, that dullens the sharpness of the gospel and the power of freedom that we enjoy. Not freedom to sin, but freedom from bondages that kept us apart from God, even legalistically. Some have said that being delivered from the present evil world is being delivered from the present religious world, from the world of Judaism, from that which was weak and unprofitable, the book of Hebrews says, we need to be, we are and should be graduated from that. The plant has brought forth the bud, and the bud has, has burst out, and we are that in the new covenant period. Many righteous men desire to see and hear the things that you heard, but now you see them. You're far better off. We have received the great, great salvation. And so Paul wants to say, if someone has brought another message to you that is taking you away from the Lord, and if you want to call that a gospel, there is no other gospel. There is only one gospel. There is only one thing that can set you free. And that's the Lord Jesus. And that's why he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him. It's all about him. Do you love the Lord? That's what Jesus said to Peter. Do you love me more than these? What's Peter's response? Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. You know I love you three times. Three times, Peter. Denied him three times. The, the uh, cloth that was let down from heaven three times. The Lord says to Peter, do you love me three times? Three times. He said, Lord, you know I love you. I was talking to someone the other day, uh, just trying to remember which one it was, but uh, person, yeah, uh, we have a gal that's coming to the church for the last several months, and I really think the Lord is drawing her, and she just, just hasn't seen it. And she keeps saying, I, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. I keep telling her, you're not going to get it, it's going to be given to you when you get it. It's a revelation that comes from the Lord. And I tell her, what you need to pray is to pray, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That's the prayer that you need to pray. And say, God, do a miracle in my life. I can't convert myself. I can't change myself. I can't put on the robe of Christianity. It's got to come solely from you. And that's what the power of the gospel does. And I said to her a common thing that people use. If, a, if an angel met you at the gate of heaven and asked you, why should I let you in? Because I've said to her several different times, if you were to die, where will you go? And again, there's that uncertainty. Well, probably she she's fluctuates between whether she's going to heaven or hell. 
Why one, why one this day and why that another day? Uncertainty. My hope on nothing less is built than Jesus and the bloody spilt. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on his blessed name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And that's what Paul wants to get across to the Galatians. Brothers and sisters, don't let them influence you. Remember what the Lord has done in your life, how he has saved you and delivered you from the power of sin and from the present evil world. Don't go back into that, that domain again. You're out of that. Paul goes on to say in verse 10, For do I persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. What is Paul saying here? Again, he's using himself as an example. He's going to go on and tell his conversion to remind them that it was not of men, neither by man. And he was an apostle, not because of an appointment of a higher apostle, not because a group of people conversed with him and convinced him to follow him or to be elevated to an apostolic category. It was simply because of the miracle of conversion. Verse 11, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ." How would you tell your testimony? It has to be, like the Lord said to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. What has been revealed to him? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We've got to look away from ourselves and look to him. To him belongs all the glory. I'm nothing. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians, this is what you need to recognize, that Christ's death was one for you personally to deliver you from the present evil world so that you will be a follower of him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Christ is the liberator. And Paul experienced that. And if there was anybody that was seeped in Jewish religion, Paul is saying, he said in one instance he was the chiefest of sinners, and here he's highlighting how that he was the chiefest of sinners because he was so, so stoutly convinced of Judaism and of that as a religious order that he should be following, that he was faithful enough to that religion, so to speak, to go after the church of the living God of Jesus Christ and persecute them. See, the Jews never saw that Judaism, true Judaism, was expecting and blooming to the point when Christ would be the end of the law. He's the consummation. He's the target. He's the final stopping ground where all the eyes should be turned like John the Baptist said, don't follow me. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when you have your sins forgiven again, behold the Lamb. And they left John. I think that's a good example of leaving Judaism. Leaving the old covenant. It's of course in early stages, but this is the trail that Jesus is blazing. And eventually as he runs the track, he's going to hand the baton off and others like Paul are going to fulfill the ministry that was given to them that was left behind. Not in a... uh, not that, that, not that Christ's ministry was in any way defective or that it was minimized, not at all, but he was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, that the promises was, that was made to the fathers would be fulfilled. That's why Jesus never left the boundaries of Israel other than to go for a rest here or there. Maybe twice he went out of the boundaries, and when he did, it wasn't for ministry purposes because he was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But after he raised from the dead, now he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. All authority is given to me. Now you can go forth. Now's the time to burst through the walls and go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. And that should be we who are the evangelists who follow in the tracks of the apostolic 
brothers and sisters that were going out in those early days and spreading abroad the gospel that Jesus was risen from the dead. Paul says, I had my behavior in time past in the Jews' religion, and how that beyond measure, in other words, I went the limits, beyond the limits, in persecuting the church of God. What more vile thing could have been done? That's why Paul, when he says he was the chiefest of sinners, keep in mind, he was a law, a law keeper. He says that about himself, that as far as the law is concerned, I was blameless. No one could point the finger at me in saying that I'm not a law keeper, that I wasn't an observant Jew. He absolutely was. But where he was the chiefest of sinners is that he was blinded and did not see from the prophets, did not hear the voice. The veil had not yet fallen. He hadn't turned to the Lord until the Lord reveals himself to him. But prior to that, he was hounding the church, chasing them far and wide and to bring them into Jerusalem to have them put to death. And Paul is humbled about that. But he's trumping this up right now and saying, look it, you that want to be under the law... I was, if anybody was under the law and was a faithful Jew, Judaizer, it would be me. I was so intent on trying to maintain the, the unity of the Jews' religion in the synagogues far and wide when I heard about these messianic Christians, those believing in this Jesus as being the Messiah, I was going far and wide to capture them and to bring them back. I had letters from the high priest. He goes on and tells us that elsewhere. Luke does in the book of Acts. But here he said that he had a zeal as profiting in the Jews' religion above many of my own equals, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, when it pleased God... Paul is not trying to isolate his conversion in a way that, like, he's showing off how mighty the gospel was for him. He's simply saying, this is how God saved all of us who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Paul is now highlighting his own conversion. He was not apostle by man. He wasn't appointed to be one. He describes it that way. I certify you, brethren, the gospel which was preached of me was not of men. It wasn't after men, but I received it from the Lord Jesus. That's quite a claim. And how could, that, how could they know that what Paul was preaching was from the Lord? Why? Why? When Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith, what is he saying there? It's a testimony to my apostleship. Because of your conversion, God used me as a vessel, a chosen vessel to bear the gospel before people like you, and that's why you're saved. Paul says we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul wasn't putting himself on a pedestal. He was saying, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? We're just servants. I planted a Paul's water, but God gave the increase. See, Paul's wanting to get the Galatians united back spiritually, communion-wise, with the Lord. And that's what's going to keep you and I faithful and pressing on is our communion with him. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, no more can ye except ye abide in me. That's why Paul talks about the freedom that the Spirit gives. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. That's the power of the gospel. That's the might of the gospel. Why would people want to flight from the gospel, flee from the gospel? The Galatians, what are you doing? You fools, I stand in doubt of you. I'm troubled. I wish that those who were troubling you, that they would be emasculated. I would, they would be cut off. The language is strong because the consequences are serious. 
They're trying to bring us into bondage. Paul says, to whom we gave place, no, not for, not, we wouldn't be brought under subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. And those are other examples that he's using. And he talks about how he rebukes Peter later, who was confusing uh, salvation with, with old Judaistic practices where, remember, he was even hesitant to go into Cornelius' house, right? Um, you know, never, no, not so, Lord, when that sheet was let down with all those four-footed, unclean creatures. And he said, Lord, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And the Lord says, don't you call what I call uncommon or what I call clean to call unclean. And then all of a sudden, he hears the knock at the door. Cornelius, his emissaries come and say, we want to tell you about our captain, Cornelius, he had seen in a vision an angel that said to him to call for Simon, who, uh, Peter, who's at Simon the Tanner's house, who shall tell thee words by which thou and all thy house shall be saved? How do people get saved? By the words. Who shall tell thee words? I was preaching one time. And this woman, older woman, came up to me and said, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? What are you, what's all this screaming about? What are you, what, what, you know, what? She was just hammering me. And I says, ma'am, the Bible says it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. How are they going to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they going to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall he preach except he be sent? Peter finally goes somewhat unwillingly, nervously, he walks in and suddenly we find Gentiles where at his feet. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. This was not a popish type of a thing, giving reverence. I think there was respect for his feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel. And they were giving honor to the man that was bringing the good news to them. And Peter is astonished that God, yes, even among the Gentiles and those that fear him, he is calling into the family of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah that the gospel has gone out into the world. Hallelujah that the Galatians, who were all confused in paganism... Now, come under the sound of the gospel, are delivered from the power of sin in the world, and now they're going, creeping back into something that has a parallel. And whoever's got chapter 4, I'm looking forward to how, how you're going to exposit that portion there where, <clears throat> where he talks about being delivered from the elementary principles of the world. And I think there's some connections there between paganism that the Galatians practiced before and the Judaism that was being thrusted upon them as if they're getting reclothed now with a new message. Paul says there's no other gospel, but if you want to call it one, there is not one. And if he, even if it's an angel that declares it unto you, let him be accursed. So Paul is extremely grieved that the Gentile Galatian believers and I think that they're Gentiles almost exclusively in the epistle. doesn't sound like any of them are... are uh, I, I could be wrong, and I'll let the others exposit that as well. But either way, they're going back to something that God delivered them from. And the deliverance was mentioned in verse 4, delivered us from the present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. So all of those who were saved were saved like Paul was saved. Miraculously. They have experienced the new birth. They know the miracle life in freedom that the gospel brings. And hallelujah from the chains that have been snapped. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Why put the chains back on you? Chains that bring you into bondage. Maybe not the bondage of the old sinful lifestyle, but into a bondage, nevertheless, that's still classified bondage. And in some ways, there's no difference. There's a similarity between them. Paul is a champion for the gospel. His desire is for them to enjoy the freedom 
that they had in Christ. The gospel's in jeopardy. And Paul is alarmed. Paul wants to put his pedal to the metal. And in the book of Galatians, he is very forceful in trying to communicate to them, he that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, and he that sows to the spirit shall of the spirit reap, reap life everlasting. Christianity, sowing to the spirit, any other gospel is sowing to the flesh. One is to the glory of God by the power of the might of the Spirit of God that is behind it. Christ has made us free. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect through the flesh? No. You've been made free by the Spirit. You began in the Spirit. That's why we're always encouraged to continue in the faith. You know, I heard a brother say when I was a young believer talking about an older brother who at prayer meetings would often pray this way and say, Lord, I pray that I would not die as a dirty old man. Wow. Sounds strange language. But that was coming from a godly man. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. We may not be in a Galatian situation. We may not be drawn back into Judaism, although I have seen some believers that have been enticed by the movement of going back in, in this kind of high honor towards Israel, the Jews, the Jews back in the land, and, and uh, they, 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 they pay honor to the rabbis, and, and uh, it just, it's just so foreign. These are enemies of the gospel of Christ. Try to preach to, a, to a, an Orthodox Jew sometime. Come with me to Brooklyn or uh, Manhattan, or you know, their, their ground. You talk about, try to talk about Jesus. They, they would decapitate you if they could because they hate the gospel. They hate Jesus. He's an imposter to them. They're waiting for a, for a messianic figure. Some Christians have been drawn away in our generation back to what the Bible says we should be liberated from. They don't understand the book of Hebrews or the whole concept of the body and the, and the church is being birthed in a period of Pentecost where the Spirit comes down, baptizes us into a unity. And we have been all made to partake of and drink of the water of the new birth of the Spirit of God. And so Paul is saying, don't dip into other waters. Don't go back where you've been delivered from, but rather stay close to the Lord. Abide in Him. Walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. That was, that's what God has called us to. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Who would think that the lust of the flesh could be fulfilled in law-keeping? But suddenly it can be. And it's classified the same way as if you're going back into a worldly lifestyle, as if you're going back into Egypt. Going back to Judaism has some parallel with going back into Egypt. And Paul is saying, please don't. Please understand the gospel. Remember what you heard. Remember me who was called of God by his will to present to you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What it did for me who was a model example of a Jew Judaizing. And yet he set me free. I was a persecutor of the church. And now it has been reversed. Another way we could think of the book of Galatians is reversing the curse. The gospel's in jeopardy. We have been set free. Let's not go back into bondage. Again, from a practical application standpoint, there's probably no one here who gets away from the Lord is probably going to go back into some kind of a legalistic lifestyle of, of uh, observing the law in some legalistic fashion. But nevertheless, remember, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So what was maybe true of the Galatians, and we have to, of course, stay in the context of it and be faithful to, to its, uh, its uh, in, uh, original intent. Nevertheless, we can draw from it as well practical ways in which we can get away from the Lord. And the word that would be said to us, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him, from him. 
in some ways, we could classify this epistle as Paul is saying, abide in him, and then you will be in safe God. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the gospel of your grace that has delivered us from the present evil world, not just merely delivered us from the countless ages of eternal suffering and hell in the lake of fire, but Lord, you have delivered us from this present evil world. And Lord, you know the things that could tempt us. You know the things that could draw us back into the ways of our past or into a way that would take us off of the path following Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would increase our love for you. As your word says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, may our love for you grow, our knowledge of you grow, that, Lord, we may abide in you. Lord, thank you for the epistle of Galatians and what power and truth it has for us and the ways in which we're going to learn from it this week. I pray for Zach and Jeff and for Blake and for Gary and others, Lord, that will be partaking, Lord, in the ministry this week. Lord, give them power. Anoint them in a way, Lord, that we would be so encouraged and blessed that we would go away from this conference saying it was good for us to have been here. So, Lord, we ask these things, giving you praise. Bless our fellowship with one another, Lord. May our time uh, at the end not end, but rather continue as we want to fellowship with one another. We want to muse over your word. We want to, Lord, be blessed from the book of Galatians that you have inspired, which is the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, the pilgrim's staff, the compass for the people of God. Lord, help us to love your word and to stay faithful to it by abiding in our Lord Jesus. To him we give all the praise and glory, our Lord Jesus Christ.